your culture defines your company, your brand, your customer loyalty. It is fundamental to everything that you do. Welcome to Elevate, a podcast about achievement, personal growth, and pushing limits in leadership and life. I'm Robert Glazer, and I chat with world-class performers who have committed to elevating their own life, pushing the limits of their capacity, and helping others to do the same. Welcome to the Elevate Podcast. Our quote for today is one of my favorite, and that is, culture eats strategy for breakfast. Our guest today, Julianne Sullivan, is a leading thinker on company culture and employee engagement. She's the founder of Learning Never Ends, an organization that helps companies improve their culture. And she's a celebrated keynote speaker who's worked with McDonald's, Bear, Highmark, and many other great companies on helping them to define and improve their culture. She's the host of the Mere Mortals United and Businesses That Care podcast, and the best-selling author of several books, including her latest, Catalyst of Culture, Juliana, welcome, and I'm excited to have you join us on the Elevate podcast. No, it's my pleasure. It's great to be with you here, Robert. So I, I always like to hear the sort of origin story and well, what people did early in their their career and their journey. I know you have a unique perspective. I don't think there are a lot of CPAs and tax accountants who who uh, end up in the in the culture world. So <laughs> tell me a little bit about that path and how you got there. Sure. Well, before I was an accountant. My undergraduate degree and interest was in developmental psychology. And once I finished that, I made a deliberate choice to learn about human behavior every day, which I have continued to do, either my own or other people's. And then, as my mother said, I became very practical and I went back and got that MBA in accounting and eventually became a CPA and a tax accountant. But beyond that, I had a lot of different opportunities besides public accounting to learn business functionality. By the time I was done wanting to learn anything about accounting, I it was about 2009 and the phrase employee engagement had just started. And I realized I did have this really unique view of businesses from the inside out. and. I eventually followed that path from employee engagement to employer experience to culture. I actually find it really interesting. I think when people adopt or adapt from one discipline to another, some of the things they carry with them. So what did working as an accountant teach you about employee engagement and culture? Well, being an accountant and the other positions I had in that accounting slash finance field allowed me to understand the functionality of business. Because if you're going to work with somebody on their culture, you have to have some knowledge of how a business works, why processes and procedures and communications with one another, why they're important. If you don't know that, you really can't get into the people skills of it. So it really taught me that. It certainly taught me discipline. And it taught me a really good work ethic because when I was in public accounting, we have to keep track of every six minutes of what we do. So (laughs) it did give me a really good work ethic. And like I said, disciplines and good processes to follow in my normal business. And 
that combined with me being very intuitive when I do go into a company to work on their culture, I am very keen on their processes and how things work within the company that will be affected by their culture. Well, you bring up a good point there. And that is, I think, and, and I'd, put myself in this bucket maybe five or 10 years ago, I think a lot of people think of culture as as art. And I actually think it's a lot more science. So I'm curious sort of your take on that. And then how do you define culture? Well, when I'm thinking about culture, I'm thinking about everything someone does within their business. So I talk to people about making culture the fabric of their business. So How is their culture utilized and how does it show itself and how people communicate with each other and how they get a product from development to sale when they're doing assessments of their people, when they're doing reviews of their people, how do they do that? When they have change within their companies, which can be anywhere from a new software to a new CEO. How do they communicate that? And every single instance that happens in a company is attached to their culture, including how they treat their customers and clients and what kind of loyalty they have from them. So to separate it, I don't really see it as a separation I see it as an overarching importance for everything that they do. But it's not something amorphous. Like it is something that people can see, feel, touch, make decisions on. I think it seems like a lot of people, they think of it as something. They think of it as their mission statement. We have a mission statement. Well, it's great to have a mission statement, but how do you live your mission statement is your culture. And how do you live your core values? Yeah, exactly. Because you can have them, but it doesn't mean anything if you're not living them. Right. Well, and every company seems to have a culture, whether it matches the stuff that they, they made it or it happened. Yeah, right. <laughs> and I and I found that employees are are more frustrated. They're less frustrated if it hasn't been sort of preached at a top down and it just is what it is organically and they know what it is. They're much more frustrated when a specific set of vision or values or principles have been talked about a lot, but no one actually behaves that way. I think that's like the story of Enron. Like the things they said that their culture rewarded was not at all the things that their culture rewarded. Oh, I think that's absolutely true. It's the, I always tell the story of when somebody comes to you with an idea, even if you don't like it, if they know they were, it was listened to and they know why it won't work or why it will work or given the opportunity to find a way for it to work, it doesn't even matter if it's ever implemented. The idea is that it was heard. Yeah. And it's the same way with having core values. People like people who walk their talk, as they used to say, right? They yeah. don't like the ones who say, do as I say, not as I do. You can't have ask people to have integrity when the boss is stealing. Have you ever owned something that inspired you to up your game? Two years ago, I bought a dual suspension mountain bike for the first time, and it pushed me to ride trails that I had never been willing to try before. When we own exceptional things, they inspire us to do exceptional things. 
The all-new Lexus GX has exceptional capability that will have you seeing the possibilities you never knew existed. Its advanced technology and luxurious interior mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without. The Lexus GX comes with available dynamic sky panorama glass roof, available front row massaging seats, best-in-class towing capacity, available 33-inch all-terrain tires, and available multi-terrain select. I've seen the new Lexus GX popping up all around my town, and not only does it have the capabilities to take you to new places on and off the road, but it's a great-looking car. The new Lexus GX is ready to raise the bar for you. Live up to the all-new Lexus GX, luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Hey, Elevate listeners. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify is the partner you need to keep the cash register ringing for your e-commerce business. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading platforms. I advise a lot of companies in the e-commerce space and almost all of them have migrated to Shopify. And as a buyer, what I love about buying from Shopify enabled sites is that they already know who I am and I don't have to create a new account or enter all my payment info. The ShopPay service makes it faster and easier to buy, which surely helps with conversions. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S., and Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com elevate, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com elevate now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash elevate. Yeah. And, and, you know, I'll bring up a a topic that's, I don't think talked about as much and people skirt away from it. And that's sort of the inverse. Culture is a two-way street. And I think there's a lot of narratives around the big bad company and companies are out to get people. But I've actually seen some companies with very good cultures. There's some bad employees. (laughs) <laughs> There's some oh, absolutely. who don't want to play by the rules or who say one thing and do another. And, and, and then when the company sort of calls them out on that, you know, they, they get to go on Glassdoor and trash them. And it, the power is a little, little one way in that direction. In fact, when I talk to groups about employee engagement, I talk about what each individual can do. And I, I kind of start out with the example of, yeah, it would be great if you went to work every day and the CEO of the company was always telling you what a great job you were doing and giving gifts and you know rainbows and unicorns, but that's not reality. So what are you going to do about it? And what can you do in your circle? Even if you don't like what's happening at another level or another department, what can you do with your colleagues, with your department, with your own life that you can make it more engaged? You can't always depend on someone else to do that. And in fact, let's say there was a a manager in a certain department that wasn't getting the support they want from that person's leaders. What if they did something for their department and their department becomes more productive? Don't you think the rest of the company would want to know how that was done? And on the other end of the spectrum, I tell people, if this is the kind of person you are and this is where you want to live in an engaged uh, sharing society and you're never going to get that there, then find another job. 
Right. Or you might have engagement and you might have support, but you might have someone who's just not performing well in a role. It's just not the right job for them, right? Well, you've talked about that before, right? Having the right person in the right seat at the right time. Yeah. And that's why companies that are a little more elevated in their culture, they may have a very good employee that doesn't fit in slot A, but will fit in slot C if they just have a conversation with them. Now, that's not always the case, but it is sometimes. So why lose a good employee that wasn't good in sales, but is great in marketing? Right. And and that's also a two-way street in terms of uh, the employee being willing to have that discussion, but the company then also needs to make it safe enough for them to want to have that discussion. Absolutely. So you talked about engagement and I know, I mean, we see these studies that it's, you know, that the rates are 60, 70% disengagement, $500 billion a year. Like what, what are the most significant drivers of disengagement that you've seen? Well, the big, well, first of all, I want to step back on what you're talking about because you're talking about Gallup. And honestly, for me, I think Gallup is outdated now. They have to keep asking the same questions, (laughs) which they have over the last 15 years, but they're not as relevant. So I just want to say that not that we still don't have that level of disengagement, but I'm not sure we know. But I will tell you that the biggest significant drivers that drive disengagement, number one is communication. And at this period of time, when there are more and more remote workers, communication is more important than ever. And more communication is better than less communication. Having said that, part of that communication has to show real care. And what I have found with some of the companies I've done my focus huddles with, what they're doing is in increasing communication, some of that communication has nothing to do with the business. It has to do with the individuals involved in the business. So there's more communication about what's going on with you. What's the worst and best thing that happened to you this week? What are you missing to do the job you're expected to do? So I would say communication and care. And and I'm going to go back to this, but again, because I, I, I do think it is this two-way street. But so what if I'm communicating, and this goes to Kim Scott, I'm communicating and, and with care, but saying, you know, Julianne, this just, this isn't the right, it's not the right job for you, right? I, I We're struggling to get people, I think, to you know, have discussions and move more fluidly in a world that is that is fluid. To me, I equate it to like, yeah, you have a, a sports team that's just running the ball all the time and you have a great passer and they're just not, not getting utilized. So some of the disengagement just comes from people not being in the right, in the right seat and that right seat may not be in that organization. Correct. And again, some of the companies that I interviewed in my research that have great cultures, part of that great culture was recognizing that and counseling those people out. Yeah. And that may be, what is it you like to do? Maybe we know somebody in this community that would hire you for something we can't hire you for. 
you know, and there's always going to be bad apples, right? Yeah. <laughs> there's going to be horrible CEOs. There's going to be horrible employees that the best thing you can do is get them out of there as quickly as possible because their toxicity is, you know, pulling down your whole entire workforce or anyone they come in contact with. Um, but barring those, again, I think it goes back to communication. Why keep someone who isn't happy? Because it's not serving either one of you. And, you know, you talked about whether it's the company or the employee, and it's kind of like a dance yeah. they learn how to do. And it's it also goes back to which comes first, the chicken or the egg. So which comes first, an employee that wants to be engaged or a company that wants to engage their employees. And I think there is a dance and that dance is part of the, is a big part of culture. Yeah. And I think employees need to decide what the right culture is for them. Absolutely. One of my favorite stories of, of Southwest Airlines was this woman used to write Herb Kelleher every week and say, you know, I flew your plane this week and I can't stand the lines and I can't stand the plastic cards and I can't, everything right. they basically stood for. And he wrote her a letter back and said, please find another airline. And <laughs> to me, the job of the CEO or leadership team is to be consistent, upfront and honest, not to yes. tell everyone what they want to hear. And actually, I think there's a danger in feedback. And we identified this uh, a year or two ago as a company that's very much about feedback and that you can overreact to a sample of one or two where mm -hmm. someone says, look, you know, we do this work from home thing. I, we should have offices and, and we should have no one work on more than one program. And, we, and you say, look, but that's just not how we're going to run our business. That's not our model. And that's not what 98% of the other people want. So it's tricky. I think you can overreact to feedback where I think you're always going to have a small group of people that want to do something different or they want it shaped to their personal needs. And I actually, to me, that's like a team that a sports team that wants the playbook changed for the player. I don't think good companies do that. No, I don't think so either. Cause you're never going to make everyone happy. I don't care if you're talking about a company or right. a nonprofit organization. <laughs> it doesn't matter. 100% of the people aren't going to be happy. That's just the way it is. So you have to decide what your goal is, what your mission is, how you want to go down that path. And you can be open to skews to the left or right, because I think that's life. But you're not going to make a complete left turn because one person isn't up for it. That yeah. doesn't make any sense. And that's not good business sense anyway. So what's your percent threshold that you should think you should make happy? Well, there's an old <laughs> adage I heard a long time ago, and it goes like this. If one person tells you you're a horse, forget about it. If two people tell you you're a horse, you should think about it. And if three people tell you you're a horse, you should go buy yourself a saddle. I've heard another version of that that I can't, I can't repeat here. But <laughs> it starts with if someone tells you you're a, an a-hole at nine in the yeah. morning. Yeah, that, that one. So. <laughs> so anyway, I just think you have to be a good listener, which, you know, is one of the four attributes I found in common with over 60 C-suite leaders, you included, that I interviewed. And that was that they were good listeners. So you have to listen. I don't know about you, but sometimes in business now, people will say, oh, I wish you would talk about this. 
And then two people say, oh, I really wish you would talk about this. And then you have to say, oh, my public wants me to talk about this. This is something I should think about, right? Yeah. You just have to be a good listener so you'll know. Which doesn't mean you you act. In fact, we had a situation like this. So we were dealing with a review where the company said, you know, they don't care about feedback. And we collect so much feedback in every way. We report back on it. We act on it. And my response was, I mean, I, I had a sense of, of who it might be, was that, look, we, there is a difference between not listening to feedback and, as we said before, getting all that feedback and saying, we totally hear this. These are things that are not going to change. These are actually things that people like about our organization or why, right. they, or why they come here. And, and I, I think, again, some integrity of, of saying, yeah, like I, we hear the feedback, but these are kind of non-negotiables for us. Um, and then they're intentional. Yeah, and I think that's okay. Yeah. But some people will assume that is not, not listening to feedback. Again, you're not going to... You know, not going to make everyone not going to make everybody happy. That's why I said you listen once. Do you hear it? Do you hear it again? Do you hear it again? If you're not a good listener and it's being told to you multiple times, you're going to have a problem. But if you're a good listener, you don't have a knee jerk reaction the first time you hear it. But if you continue to hear it, and I'm still not saying you make a change, but maybe you look into it. Yeah, or you tell people, we, we always tend to break feedback into three groups. So we say, look, we're going to say, thank you, we can fix that, and, and we'll do that. That was easy. You know, two, actually, you made a great point, but it's going to take a little more time or thinking, or I'm not sure what we do with it yet, but we're, we're working on it. And three, we heard you, but here's why we're not changing it. One, one example was, we have a very flexible work schedule. So like, right. however you want to do works for you, that's fine. And people over the years, I think we've, made this point enough that we don't get these suggestions a lot now, but they'd say, well, how about half day summer Fridays? Or how about, you know, half day Tuesdays so we can have long weekends? Or how about everyone gets their birthday off? Or how about, and like, these are things that you want. Um, not, not that everyone else is one. So we have a flexible culture. So you can go ahead and do that. I'm not going to mandate that, you know, for everyone. If these are things that you want in your personal schedule, we don't think that that should be a, a mandate for everyone else to do the same thing. We should just think the saying we are Work flexible. Because it it's afforded right. you to begin with. Exactly. So you, t- you mentioned your book, Catalyst of Culture. You, you took a very different approach in this book, sharing a bunch of really interesting stories from leaders in the field. I think you mentioned one out of the four principles before. So I'd love for you to just talk a little bit about the book and what the other ones were. Okay. As I said, I learned four attributes from all of the leaders that I interviewed. And I I didn't set out to find them, but when I was going through it, I realized there was the theme going through there of certain attributes that were the same. And um, they were listening, being open to new ideas, lifelong learning for leaders and everyone in the workforce, and also um, creating a safe environment, both physically and psychologically. And uh, so I wrote about those in the book, and then I had to pick only 14 interviews to include in the book. You're one of them. Yay, you. (laughs) Made the cut. (laughs) You made the cut, Robert, and included those. And I have a little 
preview and after log about each one and how they exemplify one of those uh, core elements. And of course, those four elements, when you look at them, they all interrelate. You really can't have one without the other. When you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and free. LinkedIn isn't just a job board. It helps you identify and hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. Case in point, last year I asked the CEO of a major ski resort how he got his job, and he told me that he saw it on LinkedIn and decided to apply. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. On LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Hire professionals like a professional on LinkedIn. The team at LinkedIn is also constantly finding ways to make the process easier. They even just launched a feature that helps you write job descriptions, making the process easier and quicker. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash practical. That's linkedin.com slash practical to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. What were you surprised that didn't make the list that you would have assumed going into that? Mm, Probably my own shortcoming, and that would be patience. (laughs) So maybe when you get to be a CEO, you already have that patience or a CHRO or whatever. So you think that was just more of a default kind of pay to play? Yeah, I think so. I'm still learning that every day. (laughs) And in thinking about those stories and those sort of four, four principles, those companies were known for great cultures or high performance and a combination? Because I, I think there's a lot of perception sometimes that it's one or the other. Like, how are you really supportive and hold people really accountable to performance? And I've always, I've always run into that misperception. Well, for me, each company that I chose to do some research on had a great culture. Either I read about them, an award they won, or there was an article written about them, or usually there was something outside of themselves that said they had a great culture, or I read it in Fast Company Magazine or Inc. or whatever. And But the interesting part was it crossed all industries. I don't think I ever doubled up on an industry. So Mm. think about that with 60 leaders. Some of them were six months old, a year old. Some of them were over 80 years old. Some of them were really large, tens of thousands of people. And some of them were relatively small. Maybe they had 20 people. So they all had these great cultures. Everything else just flowed with it. When I work with a company on culture, I'm not even concerned where their sales get better, where will um, retention get better, will the level of talent that they bring in get better? Because it happens. It just does. Yeah. Because your culture defines your company, your brand, your customer loyalty. It is fundamental to everything that you do. So one of the things I've really... I wanted to ask you about, because I've heard you touch on this, um, and I know you work with teams. I've spoken in some places uh, on culture, and I'll have someone come up to me at the end, and they'll 
they'll have this one time it was tears or this look of frustration. And they'll ask the question like, so if I really love all this stuff and I want to do this stuff and I believe in it, but the leadership doesn't, <laughs> what, what do I do? So what's your recommendation or what have you seen when, you know, there really is not buy-in at the top of an organization? It's interesting you say that. Somebody called me the other day, a colleague of mine, and said, oh, I really want to do some culture work with this company. And they told me they were okay with 80% turnover. 80%. 80, not eight, 80. What industry is this? I don't even know. <laughs> all, all I told them was run as fast as you can. That was my advice. So when I've had plenty of people come up to me and say, oh, this would be really great, but you know, this isn't going to come from the top. They don't really care. So again, I go back to, I tell them, what can you do in your own life and what you do? then what can you do for your team? What can you do for your colleagues? How far out can you spread the example you're making? And if you're just really miserable, how can I help you find someplace else to be? Yeah. Uh, because I have always lived my life, and I could tell you many stories, since I was really in my early 20s, with the idea that life is too short to be really miserable. Totally. And how, based on being on the other side of the table, someone is making that move, what would you suggest for them to ask or look for in the interview process that would give them a sense of what that company is really like to look for, work for, not the perception that they're putting out during the recruiting process? Well, I think the first thing they need to do is to go into an interview, interviewing as much as being interviewed. Yeah. Right. So to really think about what do they want to ask? And they could ask questions like, what does a future of an employee look like? What's your onboarding process like? What does that mean to you? What is done with suggestions? How do you deal with suggestions? All the, those questions are going to give you an idea of what they think of their employees. If they say, oh, you know, you'll get stuff on your desk and go for it is different than, oh, you are going to be assigned a buddy. And that's the person you can ask all your questions. They'll make sure you know where everything is. There'll be a, a connection for you. So you don't have to figure out everything by yourself. Or they might say, oh, we have your sales team has a meeting every week. And one of the things we like to do is share on best practices with one another. So we're all up to speed. If they say, well, hey, just jump in and do it. That's an indication, isn't it? And that might be perfect for some people. And for other people, it may not be. And that leads to another great question I wanted to ask you. There's a lot of debate around the term cultural fit. There, well, I'll just leave it at that. What, what, is your, what is your take on that? I won't, I won't preload the question. Okay. I think it's hard to know if you're a cultural fit until you're in it. I mean, there's obviously some red flags. Okay. I was just coaching someone who 
has some issues with the company she's working with right now. And so she's looking to interview with other companies. And she interviewed with this other company. And when we were talking about it, there are some of the same red flags that she had in this company before she took the job. So none of this should be a surprise for her. And that's something I brought to her attention. Why are you even talking to these people? You already know, <laughs> you know, that's not going to be a good fit for you. Like I said, because you're asking these questions in an interview. Do they say one thing to you and then say something else? I've talked to somebody who interviewed for a job and they say, oh, you'll only be on the road once a month. And then three steps down, they talk to somebody in HR and they say, oh, you'll only be on the road three days every week, right? So there's a disconnect there. I'm not saying to just write that off, but you have to have a conversation and find out why there is that disconnect. So. There's a certain amount of cultural fit you can know, and then the rest, you have to live it. It's like a relationship, right? You can't meet somebody and know if you'll be together for the rest of your lives. There are certain flags, triggers, attractions that are on the onset, and then you got to give it time. You can't make up your mind in a week. I mean, again, barring somebody abusing you on the job in whatever way and shape or form that is, but you got to give it time and you have to be as flexible as you would like your employer to be, yeah. right? So you may go into a job, you were talking about, you know, what responsibility does the employee have? You may go into a job and think, okay, my skill set is A, B, C, and that's what I was hired for. Oh, by the way, they want me to do D. Are you going to quit the job or are you going to look at it as, hmm, that's an opportunity to learn yet another skill? Right. And this is the trick of, right, good culture or is it really me? So one of the CEOs I know, um, he's the last interview at his company. He, they have three core values. They're dead serious about them. They live them. And he, his whole interview is, you know, Julianne, you've, you've interviewed with Mark, Stephanie, Peter, Michelle. Our core values are X, Y, and Z. We live these core values. We practice these core values. Our people all these, are these core values. If this is really you, you'll work, be working here for 20 years like Peter, and this will be the best job you've ever had. If it's not, you probably won't last here 30 days. <laughs> Right. And it's a very interesting approach on because I do think a lot of people get drawn into like we have a core value of own it, but the standard by which we hold people to that is not for most people. Right. But they're like, oh, I love, I love it. I love all yeah, yeah, yeah. it. Yeah. Until yeah. they have to do it. Until they have to do it. Right. Exactly. <laughs> this is why Zappos pays people to leave. Right. Exactly. Because it's like if you need incentive to get out. We'll be happy to give it to you because it's a waste of everyone's time and it's a lot more expensive to keep you here. You know, one of the things I toured Zappos when I was in Vegas last time and one of what they do while this trial period's going on, everyone, no matter what department they're going into eventually, they work in customer service because they always need some more people in customer service. It's probably the hardest job there, right? Because right. usually people are calling and complaining or whatever. And it's a really good way to see if people are a good fit. So if they're not a good fit there, they're not going to be a good fit in HR or marketing or graphic design or whatever. Right. And so they got someone who was in their customer service. So another body in that area. And if it's... <laughs> 
I mean, they have people do a play. They have people do all kinds of off the wall types of exercises. But the bottom line is, you know what? If you're not a good fit, we didn't have to train you in our HR department. Right. Because you're already gone now. And I think it's brilliant. Yeah, it saves everyone a lot of because the ironically, people don't want to call it quits early when the stakes are low. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's better to do that early than to wait six months. That's the worst. Early you can just say that company and mm-hmm. bad fit, pretend it didn't exist, you know, move on. Right. And it didn't infect a whole department the way they do it. Exactly. So I know you're always doing research, thinking, writing, any any next book plans? Well, it's interesting you asked me that because I just thought of this two days ago. I actually had the words come out of my mouth. You know, I had the book Catalyst of Culture last year, and I had a book um, blueprint for employee engagement the year before that. I never planned on doing two books back to back, but somebody made me an offer I couldn't refuse. And so I was going to take a break. And I think my next book is going to be called A Fear a Year. I like it. I spent 10 years doing something that really frightened me every year. And I would like to write about those experiences and relate them to business success. Awesome. There will be an audience for that. <laughs> All right. Last, last question. What, what's a personal or professional mistake you've made? So it could be singular or repeated uh, that you learned the most from. Well, this mistake, and I don't really believe in mistakes, but anyway, it's a a little hole I fall into (laughs) much less than I used to, both personal and professional, and that's impatience. And my mom used to tell me I was born six weeks early, and from that point on, I was in a hurry all the time. As I've learned to rein in and gather more patience I have learned so much more because I can really concentrate on the journey, right? And all the opportunities and great points along the way that happen when you're impatient, you don't know. And especially, I'm going to say, Robert, being impatient with people, I have learned more in the last two years. And basically with the work on culture and employee engagement, we don't really know people's stories. Yeah. And we don't know what triggers them to go right or left. Uh, My biggest word in the last couple of months has been grace. And I think we could all use more grace with ourselves and the people around us and ask the questions that will help us make sense of what we do and what other people do. All right. Well, where can more people, where can people, more people too, learn more people, more more people. people learn more about you and your work? The easiest thing to do is if you Google Julie Ann Sullivan, that works. <laughs> you will yeah. find me in a multitude of ways. I'm on LinkedIn. My website is julianesullivan.com and Ann does not have an E on it. I'm sure it'll be in your show notes, but I'm pretty easy to find. All right, Julianne, thanks for sharing your story with us. You have such interesting insights on a subject that affects almost every company and and every employee. And keeps changing. Thanks so much, Robert. I appreciate it. My honor. To our listeners, thanks for tuning in to the Elevate podcast today. We'll include links to Julianne and her work on the detailed episode page at robertglazer.com. 
If you enjoyed today's episode or the Elevate podcast in general, I'd really appreciate if you could leave us a review. It's how new users discover the show and the content. Thanks again for your ongoing support. Until next time, keep elevating. This episode is brought to you by the Yap Media Podcast Network. I'm Hala Taha, CEO of the award-winning digital media empire, Yap Media, and host of Yap Young and Profiting Podcast, a number one entrepreneurship and self-improvement podcast where you can listen, learn, and profit. On Young and Profiting Podcast, I interview the brightest minds in the world, and I turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your daily life. Each week, we dive into a new topic like the art of side hustles, how to level up your influence and persuasion, and goal setting. I interview A-list guests on Young and Profiting. I've got the best guests, like the world's number one negotiation expert, Chris Voss, Shark, Damon John, serial entrepreneurs, Alex and Layla Hermosi, and even movie stars like Matthew McConaughey. There's absolutely no fluff on my podcast, and that's on purpose. Every episode is jam-packed with advice that's gonna push your life forward. I do my research, I get straight to the point, and I take things really seriously which is why I'm known as the podcast princess and how I became one of the top podcasters in the world in less than five years. Young and Profiting Podcast is for all ages. Don't let the name fool you. It's an advanced show. As long as you want to learn and level up, you will be forever young. So join podcast royalty and subscribe to Young and Profiting Podcast or Yap, like it's often called by my Yap fam on Apple, Spotify, CastBox, or wherever you listen to your podcasts.